0: Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that this podcast will help you in your walk with Christ. Today is Dr. Wayne Splon's very first message here at Mountain Brook Baptist Church, and the title of his message is Hope in God's Unfailing Love. The big idea is that Psalm 147 declares the power and majesty of God and clearly shows that God does not use the strong but delights to use those who fear him and hope. In His unfailing love. You're looking at Psalm 147 today. It's on page 448. If you want to open up a pew Bible and follow along in a moment as I read, as you're turning there, uh, I want to thank you for all your well wishes and prayers um, as the Spaulding family went down with COVID over Christmas, and we, I really thought I'd be standing here on Christmas Eve uh, preaching a sermon, and uh, ended up I was at home watching via live stream. But so proud of our staff and everyone who did such a wonderful, capable job of leading the service during that um, important time of the year. So thanks to all the staff who did that, and um, really excited about all that God has for us to know in this coming year. I invite you to listen as um, we read Psalm 147. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord! How good it is to sing praises to our God! How pleasant and fitting to praise Him! The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble and casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation they do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the longest-running program, television program event is a thing called Shark Week. And I'm um, pretty interested in Shark Week myself. For some 33 years, the folks at the Discovery Channel have been drawing us back to our screens to watch and learn all there is to learn about sharks. And I am most interested in the sharks that they call the great white sharks. There is for me this strange sort of, of, I'm, I'm terrified and I'm fascinated and drawn to these animals all at once. I grew up also, in addition to Shark Week, I grew up in the era where Jaws, the movie, was fairly recently out. And I can remember as a child going to, Myrtle Beach is where we went on vacation. And unlike the water at the Gulf, it's a little bit murky. And I would wade out into that water, and I was pretty sure that at any moment, Jaws was going to fly out of the water, and that'd be it for me. Now, why is it you think that we're fascinated, or at least I am, by animals of such size and strength and power? I think that there's something in our hearts that we are I'm prone to stand in awe of something that seems strong and self-sufficient. And we're not as excited about things that are kind of weak and dependent. Imagine, for example, if the executives at the Discovery Channel got around the boardroom and somebody said, how about we replace shark week with sheep week? I imagine that there wouldn't be a lot of interest in sheep week. Um, In contrast to sharks, great whites especially, that really have no known predators in all of their environment, sheep are pretty um, unimpressive animals. Their list of their predators is long. Um, They're not that smart. They're pretty dependent on someone to take care of them. And apart from a shepherd or fences or sheepdogs, most sheep wouldn't survive very long in the wild. And so I think there's probably a reason why we like Shark Week and we wouldn't be that excited about Sheep Week. But it's not just animals, I don't think, that draw us to these ideas of people who are strong and powerful and self-sufficient. Those of you who enjoy sports like me, um, probably you stand in awe if you're a golfer and you watch some guy or some lady stand up there and drive the ball some distance that seems totally impossible for you right down the middle of the fairway. Or if a quarterback drops back and he throws this incredibly accurate pass 60 yards down the field to hit a streaking receiver, you just stand back and you're just in awe of people who seem to be able to do things that are impossible for you. If you're a musician or you just like music like me, maybe you are in awe of someone who can sing perfectly on key. I cannot. Um, I've, if you ask Webb, he'll tell you I'm pretty much uh, tone deaf, though I love music. But it's impressive to see someone who can do something like that, who can play their instrument with precision or arrange mu- music that's, that's meaningful and it really engages your soul. Or maybe if you're someone like me and you are involved in public speaking to a fair degree in your uh, job, you are amazed at people who can speak really well in front of an audience they speak for 45 minutes but it seems like 10 minutes in one minute you're crying and one minute you're laughing and they just draw you into whatever it is that they're talking about we're drawn to these people who seem to have otherworldly extraordinary abilities and sometimes we look at ourselves in comparison and we think what what do I have to offer and it can even be true and it comes to our spiritual lives So we're in a part of the year where we are prone to look back and look forward and think, this is the year that I'm going to accomplish something great for the Lord. Who among us wouldn't like to be more faithful in reading the scriptures? Is there anybody here who wouldn't like to be more faithful in praying to the Lord and praying and interceding for others in your life? I think each of us would like to say, this is the year where I'm going to share my faith with more people. I'm really going to be the person that God's called me to be this year. But if you're like me, you sometimes look back over your past record and you think, well, I've felt this way before. And usually by March, I can't find the Bible reading plan they told me to read at church, maybe. I haven't shared my faith with anyone. And you look inward at the resources that you have and you think, "Now I'm not sure. And then you look to your left and your right, and there are people that you really think are giants or heroes of the faith. And you think, I could never be like, fill in the blank. And your excitement about all this that you're going to accomplish in the new year starts to wane. you think, maybe, maybe that's just not for me. And i, I got to admit to you as I stand here as your, your new pastor on January the 2nd, that there is within me a desire to be great I want to be really good at being a pastor. I want to preach some sermons that are engaging and just leave you ready to attack the world for Jesus. I want to have vision and and understand how it is that we can tackle these challenges that we might face in the coming year or seize opportunities. I want to provide great pastoral care. I want you to feel like I'm there at every moment praying and coming alongside you. But here's the reality of the situation. As I look inward, I know that I have weaknesses more than you can even imagine. As I look to the left and the right and I look across Birmingham and even the world, now that we can look across the world at all these incredible ministers, I really wonder, is, do I really have what it takes? Could I ever really be on the level of all of these people and make the impact that they make for the kingdom of God? Just like you, I'm prone to look inward, find myself wanting to look to the left and the right and find people who seem to be so much more prepared for the calling that God's given them. But if that's you, if you walk into the sanctuary kind of doubtful that you have what it takes to do anything really great and substantial for God in the coming year, then I have really, really good news for you today as I read the story of scripture from beginning to end, it seems really clear to me that God delights to use the weak um, and the unimpressive people in the world to do really great things for his kingdom. He loves and delights to choose people that the world would pass over and think that they're too weak or too dependent, and those are the people that God is often drawn to the most. And he works through most powerfully to accomplish his purposes in the world. And that's truly what we see on display in Psalm 147. In Psalm 147, the psalmist introduces us to God in a way that ought to open our eyes to the understanding of how significant and how powerful and how impressive the Lord is. Why it is that he's worthy of our praise. And then he also gives us understanding and insight into who it is that God most often uses for his plans and his purposes in the world. Psalm 147 starts with this declaration, this invitation or this command to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting it is to praise him. And then the psalmist is going to give us all these reasons why it is that it's appropriate for us as the people of God to sing praises and to honor him. And the first thing that I want you to see from Psalm 147 in verse 5 is that God is great as our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The God that we serve is mighty in power and his understanding has no limit. And then to illustrate the power and the understanding of God, The psalmist points us to the stars. I don't know if you're like me, but I can walk out on a clear winter night and look up and just be amazed at the stars in the sky. How many stars do you think there are in the universe? Well, as I did some research this week to try to find out the answer to that question, apparently no one really knows. And there's approximately 100 billion stars in the Milky Way, But if you try to extrapolate that out over the entire universe, there really is no way to understand exactly how many stars there are in creation. Even the highest estimates by most scientists, they think, are probably pretty low. And the psalmist of Psalm 147 says that the Lord knows all the stars and even has names for them. I only have three children. I struggled to name them. But God's power and God's wisdom and his might are on display all around us in creation. And so we look up and we look out at God and we ought to be in awe of who he is. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I think my view of my understanding of God is too small. Often I make God out in my own image and I apply things that are true to me to him. And the psalmist invites us out of that kind of thinking to expand our understanding and our heart of who God is and that you and I would stand in awe of who God is, that he is great in power and his understanding is beyond anything you and I can fully comprehend. But you know that it wouldn't be great news if we only knew that God was powerful and all-knowing. But the other thing that the psalmist includes us into about who God is and his character is that God cares for every living thing that He has created in creation? The psalmist says that we should praise the Lord because He's covered the sky with clouds. Now, my son Webb really loves science. And I was back in my room this week in quarantine studying Psalm 147, and I knew that Webb knows a lot about clouds, the different kinds of clouds, when it is we think that the different things may be happening in the weather because of the clouds. And so I just screamed on the other side of the house, and I said, Webb, why are clouds important? And he said, because uh, they make it rain? Thank you, Webb. Yes, the clouds make it rain. And in Psalm 147, we have this picture that God graciously sends rain on the earth so that grass will grow on the hillsides, so that cattle can feed on that which God provides for them. That God graciously provides food for the young raven that cries out. That you and I, we don't just serve a God who is all-powerful, who his understanding and his might surpass our understanding. But we also serve a God who is gracious and kind and merciful and who loves to provide for that which he has created. The God of Psalm 147 is worthy of our praise. And then the psalmist ends the psalm by noting one more thing that the Lord does that ought to move us to praise him. He talks about the Lord sending his word out, snow and icy blasts, and then he melts the rivers. And then at the very end, the psalmist says that the Lord has given his word to his people. The Lord has given his word to his people. And no other nation can say that they understand and know the Lord like God's people. I want you to think a minute what your life would be like if you did not have a copy of the scriptures. Imagine if all we could do is sit around in a room and think thoughts about God and try to understand what he might be like and kind of reason our way up to God. Or if God called us to go through life basically relying on our own wisdom and understanding and doing the best we could with what we had to navigate life. But the truth about our God is that he is the God who reveals himself, not just in creation, but he reveals himself to us through his word so that you and I don't have to sit around and wonder what God is like, but God has graciously revealed himself to us. We can understand both his power and his power, and his might in creation, and we can also understand the work that he's done for us in Jesus Christ and the new life that he calls us to live into. God is worthy of our praise, and he is worthy of our adoration, so that the psalmist can say in verse 1, it is right and it is fitting for us to praise him. Now, the second thing I want you to think about is what, um, who are the people that God most likely draws near to, and uses for his purposes. As I said earlier, if I was in the fantasy football draft, so to speak, for God's kingdom, I don't know that I would be a first-round draft pick. You ever feel that way? I mean, I might be kind of sad that how far I would fall down in the draft before God would choose me to be a part of his team. But that's operating off this understanding that God's looking for the strongest and the best and the brightest and the most well-equipped to be a part of his purposes in the world. But listen to what the psalmist says that God's interested in. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That God is drawn to people who know that they need him to be at work in their lives those who are brokenhearted, those who are outcast. The Lord sustains what kind of people? The humble. Those who understand that in comparison to the God of all creation, you and I bring very little of worth to God's plans and purposes in the world. He's looking for humble people. He's looking for people who know that they have nothing to bring to the party apart from God's work, In their lives. Verse 10 His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. How many of you in the sanctuary have ever been on a horse? I have been on a horse. I was in South Africa and I was doing mission work, and there was a little retreat that we had, and everybody said, Hey, we should go ride horses. And I was like, Sure, sounds like a great idea. Let's go ride horses. And I went, and they give you paperwork, and I filled out the paperwork. And one of the questions is, have you ever been on a horse? And my answer was, of course, no. And so do you know what kind of horse you get if you've never been on a horse? You get the oldest, slowest, almost dead horse they can find. My horse was named Star. Never forget it. I think they had to, like, drag Star out of the stable, and there she was, and She didn't look very excited about what was about to happen, and so I got on. And there we went on our little jaunt through the countryside of South Africa. But something happened when we got close to the stables. It's like Star found a level of excitement and energy that she had long forgotten she had. And it was clear that she was ready to be home. And it was bam. And to say that I wasn't in control is an understatement. I was going wherever Star thought we were going and hanging on for dear life. And I thought, Lord, if you get me back off this horse, I'll never pray this prayer again. Even the weakest of horses, they are incredibly strong. We look around at people who do these feats that you and I can't hardly comprehend. Like that big guy that plays defense for the University of Georgia football team. Goodness gracious, he's like three of me, and he also runs really fast, right? And and you and I are captivated by that, but the psalmist says the Lord is not impressed by those things. He's not impressed by the strength of a horse. He's not impressed by the legs of a really conditioned athlete. But the thing that God is looking for, the thing that causes him delight is those who fear him, those who hope in his unfailing love. And I don't think the psalmist means that God's looking for people who are afraid of him. But I do think that he's saying that that we ought to have such a big picture of who God is, that we see him as he reveals himself in the world, and we understand like Job in relation to him, we're pretty small and insignificant, and we walk away with our mouths open in awe of who God is. That God's looking for people like that. God's looking for people who hope in his unfailing love. One of the things we find in the Bible about who God is, that the Bible makes a really big deal about God and his steadfast or his unfailing love. And that word steadfast love or that idea of unfailing love is a picture of God's covenant commitment to his people. That God locked in on his people and even though they time and time again turned away from him. God was not going to let go of them. And so he just kept coming and he kept pursuing. And so all throughout the Bible and the Psalms, we see people praising God for his steadfast love. You know who praises God for his steadfast, unfailing love? People who know that they don't deserve God's steadfast, unfailing love. That if God were to give me what I deserve, if he were to judge me based on my record, that I don't deserve his love in and who I I am. But in spite of that, God continues to pursue me. God's looking for people not that think that they deserve God's love, but who place their hope in his steadfast, unfailing love. And I think finally God's looking for people who understand the treasure that we have in the scriptures. That we stand in awe of the fact that God doesn't just reveal himself in creation, but he also comes to us through his word so that we can see all that God has accomplished for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that we would humbly come to his word, seeking as best we can to yield ourselves to his plans and his purposes in the world. It's not looking for the best and the brightest. It's not looking for the most well-equipped and resourced, the thing that God delights in, those who fear him, those who know that their only hope is in his steadfast, unfailing love, and those who appreciate all that he has given to us in the scriptures. You and I here at Mount baptist we follow the Christian calendar. So while it's January the 2nd and kind of in the larger cultural conversation, it's the new year, Um, I learned a few years ago that the Christian calendar starts in Advent and Christmas. So we've started our year, so to speak, with all of this time and effort thinking about all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Although you and I are sinners and we had no way to be reconciled to the Lord, the God of all creation, the God that we've been talking about in Psalm 147, humbled himself and took on flesh in the person of Jesus and pursued us so that we might be reconciled to the Father. And one of the things that strikes me about the Christmas story is that God, again, shows that he uses people that you and I would often pass over. Remember the story in the Gospel of Luke. When the angel Gabriel comes to give the birth announcement of John the Baptist, who is it that's going to have John the Baptist, this important person in God's redemptive work? Zechariah and Elizabeth, old people who had never had a baby, not exactly the ones that you and I would think were prime candidates to be a part of God's redemptive plan, but God chooses them. Who is it that becomes the mother of the Messiah, this young virgin named Mary whom God chooses and her husband Joseph? Where is it that Jesus is born? Not in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. Who gets to hear the initial birth announcement of the birth of the Messiah? Shepherds. I told a group of 4th through 6th graders um, earlier before Christmas, you remember that song? Maybe they probably didn't. Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Maybe in Jesus' day it could have been, Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. Like they were these outcast kind of strange people on the fringes of society that nobody really trusted. And it's to them that the Lord sends the angels to proclaim that Jesus has been born. And it's they are the ones that go out and proclaim all that God has done in Jesus. If we learn anything over this season of Advent and Christmas, or anything, we come to God's words that, it's that God is the source of all the good things that will happen in and through us in the coming year. And despite our weaknesses and despite our failings, despite all the reasons that you and I feel like we don't measure up, that if we come to God with humble hearts and expectant that he can do abundantly more than we think that he could do, that it might just be that 2022 is a really wonderful year where we get to the end of the year and we look back in amazement at all that God has done in and through us. I actually think the most dangerous thing we could do is go into this new year and think that there's something that we possess in and who we are, that God would be really fortunate for us to be on his team. For us to think that because of our righteousness or our holiness, we should be used by God or because we have this wonderful building in a really strategic location that maybe God would use us or this wonderful ministerial staff and this dynamic new pastor, right? No laughing. That those are the places where we look for strength. Those are the places where we look for hope. But if we recognize truly that we bring nothing to the table apart from God's gracious work in our lives, if we come humbly, we come hopefully, God can do anything if we'll just yield ourselves to his plans and purposes, then I think we will be amazed at all that God will do. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for who you are. We pray that you would forgive us when we think small thoughts of you. We thank you that you reveal yourself throughout creation and you reveal yourself on the pages of Scripture that you are powerful, that you are an all-knowing God, that you are also a gracious and a merciful God, and that you call us into relationship with you through faith in Christ. We pray that you would be at work among us in this coming year, that you give us humble hearts, that we would be people who walk in fear and in awe of who you are, that we would see the treasure that you've given us in your word, and that you would do extraordinary, miraculous things among us, and that we would only be able to stand back and offer our sincere gratitude for all that you've done through us. And we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for your presence here at Mount Brick this morning. If you're a guest with us and you live in the area, if I haven't had a chance to speak to you. I would love... The opportunity to meet you before you leave, I'll just let you know that um, some of the ways that you can be a part of what God's doing here at Mountain Brook Baptist Church. If you're looking for a church home, and you are looking for a place where you can um, dive deeply into relationship with other people who are admittedly not perfect, but who are seeking to be more and more of all that God's called us to be, then I'd love to talk to you about what it would look like for you to join us as a member here at Mountain Brook Baptist Church. And just generally, I want you to know that that I'm open to hearing from you. So my email address on the website, the door to my office is always open. I just want you to know that, that I want to be in relationship and walk alongside you in whatever it is that God's doing in and through your life. I invite you to stand, and I'll dismiss us with a benediction. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.